Let us pray. You give us prophets, holy God, to cry out for justice and mercy. Open our ears to hear them and to follow the truth they speak, lest we support injustice and to secure our own well-being. Give prophets the fire of your word, but love as well. Though they speak for you, may they know that they stand with us before you and have no Messiah other than your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Amen. Our first reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1-9. through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And our next reading is Psalms 40, verses 1 through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. Thou hast multiplied, O Lord my God, thy wondrous deeds and thy thoughts toward us. None can compare with thee. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire, but thou hast given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, Lo, I come, in the roll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Lo, I have not restrained my lips, as thou knowest, O Lord. I have not hid thy saving health within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not thou, O Lord, withhold thy mercy from me. Let thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness ever preserve me. This is the word of the Lord.
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I just survived the first two-week intensive stretch of classes for my doctoral program. Um, and I, I don't say that to toot my own horn, but rather because I'm still a little shell-shocked and surprised that this is where God has set me down for now. Um, every time a pastor takes a new call or starts a new level of the educational process, everyone wants to seem or seems to want to hear about their sense of call. What got you where you are? What, what do you see yourself doing after you finish this program? How did God call you into this particular program? I know when I was in the last few months of seminary, it was completely terrifying. How could I, of all people, be called to anything even remotely important? What was God thinking? And now I tell the story without even thinking about it much, and only sometimes do I have those moments of uh, God must have been aiming at someone else and hit me by accident. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, I am just making things up as I go here. <laughs> I don't actually have a laid out plan, and that makes me a little bit nervous because I like to have an itinerary for exactly what's next. I would love to be able to tell you all that I have a detailed five-year plan for church growth and development, and that is not the case. But in a small voice and in the lectionary texts that come around this week every third year, I am reminded that call is not about the agenda or the itinerary or what comes next. And call isn't some special magical thing that only certain people get. Hallelujah. We are all called to something. There are individual calls, like Paul's call to be an apostle, but there is also a corporate call that is issued to the church as a whole. What a joy it was last year to travel in Rwanda with Martha from St. Andrews and our own dear Tom Smart. And I can't believe it's been almost a year already since we went on that life-changing trip. It was a joy and a delight to travel with them and to meet sisters and brothers who come from a very different place and to hear their stories firsthand. Psalm 40 makes me think of Rwanda and the ache that they've been through and the redemption and the reconciliation and the deliverance that has happened there. Their stories are a joy because their stories are stories of crying out to God in the worst of circumstances when all seemed to be lost and then of being heard. Psalm 40 doesn't exactly start off cheerfully. I waited for God in the deepest, darkest pits of despair. In fact, while most of the common translations in English say, I waited patiently for the Lord, that's sort of a really nice translation of the Hebrew there. A translation that gets more to the heart of the Hebrew would probably be something like, while I was waiting, I kept waiting. Or to use a more common English phrase, I waited and waited and waited for God. There are people all around the world still stuck in that feeling of waiting and waiting 
and waiting for God to hear their cries. There are people suffering massive injustices worldwide, including people here in the United States as well. And there are also many people suffering loneliness and disconnection right here in our own neighborhoods. It used to be that the way missions went was that the fancy rich people in the West, us, sent people to spread the good news of the gospel to people in places that were, to the Western eye, at least far less fancy and rich. Places like Africa, Central and South America, Asia. And the good news is that worked. The church is thriving in Korea, in Rwanda, in American Samoa, in Argentina. The problem is that now we've run out of new places to go and evangelize. The church has forgotten how to be church to the people right around it. Only about 37% of Americans attend religious services regularly. That includes Muslims, Jews, Christians, all faiths. We live in the mission field, my friends. And we've narrowed our definition of mission to only mean making converts in the deepest jungles or the poorest slums. And we've forgotten the power of story. We've forgotten the power of being where we have been placed, of our calling to where we are. We've forgotten how multifaceted this really is. We've forgotten the part of the story that says in Christ we are one and we should care for the needs of our neighbors, both far and near. What Tom and Martha and I saw in Rwanda was not poor Africans who needed help from rich Westerners. We saw a vibrant church telling the powerful stories of God's love and forgiveness. We saw people living in community with one another after great heartbreak and struggle. We heard from people who could have read Psalm 40 as if they themselves had written it. And they offered to pray for us because they knew that the church in the United States is struggling so. Here's what they got that I think many of us miss. We all share a calling. And that calling is to unity. In a sermon entitled, I See the Promised Land, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the church. He was specifically addressing the black church, but um, this extends to all branches of the church for sure. He um, asked the church to remain united, and at the core, that is the strength of his teaching, and it is the reason his words are so timeless. He spoke words that reach across generations and cultures and still grab a hold of us today, all these many decades later. To this day, his powerful words shake us up because unity is something we all long for, but it can be so elusive at the same time. We've got to stay together, Dr. King said. We've got to stay together and maintain unity. You know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. Division in the church can cripple the Christian life. Not that the modern American church knows anything about division, right? Today, more than ever, we are in a world that is polarized, both outside and inside the church. And I use big C church, as in all 
churches. People divide into camps based on denomination, political views, economic status, theology, parenting style, food choices, worship style, sports teams, and just about anything else we can think of to sort ourselves out into neat little categories. And of course, the best category is always the one you find yourself in, right? Have you ever read the comments that are posted after online news articles? If you haven't, I do not recommend doing so. Because trust me, you are not missing anything edifying or positive in any way whatsoever. There are a few things that will cause division more than a hot news topic, and the comments on those news items are generally appalling. Not because of their agreement or disagreement with the article, their particular stance, but rather the dehumanization of the other people that disagree. People who disagree are seen as the evil them and are treated as less than human in many cases. Name-calling and mudslinging are completely normal modes of responding to articles online. Now that's a bit of an extreme case, but that happens in other situations too. This division and separation and dehumanizing of people in categories other than our own. Like Martin Luther King Jr., Paul was writing to people who were divided when he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. The church was not operating in unity. The church in Corinth was divided. If you read just a little bit farther in this chapter in 1 Corinthians, you will begin to see some of the infighting that Paul is addressing. They were arguing and forming cliques over everything possible. Leadership, morality, worship, beliefs about resurrection of the dead, just to name a few they argued over how you had to look, think, act, and speak in order to be a real Christian. The church in Corinth was so worried about getting every step of their walk just right, and about making sure everyone else was convinced that theirs was the right way, that they lost sight of the most important thing, Jesus. They had been called to be the body of Christ, and they were so busy trying to make every body part look like a specific body part that they just wound up spinning their tires and not getting much of anywhere. The Apostle Paul can get a bit wound up in some of his letters. There are, <laughs> some people are giggling, you know some of those places. But there are some places in them he's not so delicate about what he has to say. But this introduction to this particular letter to a beloved congregation really shows his gentleness and his love for them. He's very parental when he says to them, oh, Dear ones, isn't it great that we are all called to sainthood together to serve God? You make my life better and more exciting. Unity is not just an abstract Concept. It's not just something that would look pretty if we managed to figure it out. It is a calling. It is the calling. The church is called to be united. Last week, for the baptism of our Lord Sunday, we reflected on the meaning of baptism. And one big piece of that is that we are all baptized in Christ. And this baptism joins us to Christ in his mission as well as to one another. If unity is such a key component of our calling, why are we so surprised when someone like Martin Luther King Jr. or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or the Apostle Paul have the guts to stand up and say so? Why is that? 
the exception to the norm. Why have we let the messages of fear and difference and division speak louder than that of unity in Christ? Yes, Paul, the author of Corinthians, was called. The founders of the church were called. The church in Rwanda is called. So we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. this weekend. We acknowledge that he was called. But what about the rest of us? Paul says we all have a calling to sainthood. We are all saints. The Greeks didn't throw around words like saint or sanctified without meaning to add some serious oomph to what they were saying. Paul meant something really huge here. We have brothers and sisters in places we may not like or understand or even know about. But there is more beauty in that diversity than can ever be found in sorting ourselves out into neat little boxes. This week is the week of prayer for Christian unity. Today we celebrate Freedom Rising Sunday. It's a big project that has come out of Pittsburgh Presbytery to address issues of justice. Tomorrow we as a country celebrate and commemorate the life of Dr. King. And these are all very good things. But let's not let them stay trapped in a day or a week this year. Wherever and whenever and whomever we are, we are called to be united with one another. Don't forget that we are bound not only to Christ, but also because of Christ, we are bound to one another. Amen.